Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Martin Hacker-Mullen of the bands Stress Fractures, Clear Body, Jail Socks, and Dry Rot. Probably some others too that I'm forgetting. We talked about the Chariot's 2007 album, The Fiancé. We also chat about getting into Christian metalcore as a non-Christian and about gateway bands. Clearbody recently released One More Day and Jail Socks released Coming Down both last year. Jail Socks are about to start a five-week tour, so keep an eye out for that. Please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger, and we revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. It's a lot of fun and a great foil to the main pod. So please subscribe for only $1 a month or more. If you want to be really generous, we would super appreciate it. Okay, let's chat with Marty. So here's the thing. I don't think I've ever asked. So what is your actual full name as you want to be listed? My okay, so like my like first name last name is Martin Hacker Mullen. I have a hyphenated last name. Okay, the thing I feel like I had never asked you is like I almost thought like the hacker thing was like an internet thing, and it was just kind of became like almost like a nickname that just sort of became your name, but that's actually <laughs> your last name. Yeah, that was actually a really big thing uh, on my early like Xbox Live gaming days. Is that I I. I was really stupid because I didn't understand how the internet worked very well, and I made my username Martin Hackermullen on Xbox Live, and then was like hopping into like Halo parties, and kids were like, "Let's jump and find a different server," <laughs> because they thought that I was just like gonna hop in their accounts and like steal shit. But it's like, if I were really a hacker, why would I just throw that in the username? And yeah. I then I'd have to explain to people that that's my name. Which then led to people like Googling me and like finding my like age 13 Facebook page and like my like really embarrassing YouTube channel, which I think is like pretty hard to find now. But we'll we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, my hacker is part of my name. Unfortunate. Well, I'm going to keep all of that in. And so what we're talking about today is The Chariot. We're talking about the album The Fiancé that came out April 3rd, 2007. It's their second album on Solid State Records, and it was produced by Matt Goldman. And what I'll ask is when was the first time you either heard this band or this album? So I think the first time I heard the band, I think I must have been like 14. I had just like started hanging out every single day with my like two longtime best friends, uh, Jake and Keegan. And they are uh, a lot better versed in heavy music than I am. They that was that they were the reason I ever found any kind of like punk bands or like hardcore bands or metal bands or what have you. Um, they started me slow. So you know, we started with shit like uh like Title Fight and Joyce Manor then they worked me up with La Dispute and Touche Amore. And then somewhere down the line, we got to the Chariot, and I thought it was the coolest shit ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I started with Long Live, uh, which is probably like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> their most popular album. <laughs> but uh, 
I don't know, the fiance connects with me in a different way just because I think it's it's a lot weirder and it's like heavy for the sake of like making an impact instead of just like playing breakdowns. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool because I hadn't really heard any heavy bands outside of like Touche and La Dispute that were using it as like a way to get their message across rather than just making sure people are going to fight each other when you go to the show. Yeah. Yeah, that was a thing, because, I mean, I haven't listened to Norma Jean in years. Um, and I feel like I got, I mean, I definitely got into them on their first record. and But going into this record, I think I'd already kind of like I hopped on, because I was a Norma Jean fan, and then just kind of hopped off. And I, Sure. I, and I think I'll get to maybe why that was, or maybe I'll say it now. So I saw them live in Wilmington, where I was living at the time, and I was like, I don't like this, uh, but I like their, I like their album, uh, their first album, like, and then basically I think because of that live show, I stopped listening to them completely. Okay. But that in sort of hindsight, I'm like, one, it probably wasn't even that bad Two, um, bands just have bad nights. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, whatever, you know? Um, so now it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I could have liked this record cause this record is good. And I think that was interesting listening to this record for the first time for this is that kind of like you were saying about like Law Dispute and Touche Amore, I almost found it, I was kind of surprised that it wasn't a heavier record. Sure. Like, I mean, it is in a lot of ways, but it's like they perp- they feel like they purposely don't like, you know, kind of like put those like sub bassy kind of things in there. And it's like, it's a little bit tinnier, but it's still very well produced yeah of course yeah so that's interesting you know yeah yeah, i mean if you look at like their whole like history as a band they have they've taken a lot of really different approaches every time they've made a record uh they reached a point where they just like didn't have a bassist anymore so they were like well fuck it there's no bass on this album maybe don't quote me on that but like i'm pretty sure that that was a thing i know that one of their albums is like fully live tracked first takes only yeah so it's just like they they practiced a lot of, I guess what I considered then and sort of now like unorthodox production techniques, mm-hmm. um, but I think that got me a lot more interested in them and like this is you know when I was discovering a lot of music and figuring out how to use recording software myself it got me really interested in trying uh, different approaches to making my own music sound different. Yeah, that I think their first record was the one that that was uh, just like tracked all live. Um, but yeah, they they were always a band. Like even kind of re-listening to this album and some of the others, um, I yeah, just simply an interesting band. I don't have a better way to put it. It's it's kind of like I almost wonder like why the chariot. I always felt like the, he struggled to kind of like get to the points that Norma Jean got to. Sure. And then there was always kind of like, and these people probably get along now. You know, I don't think there's like any animosity, but it's it always seemed to be like amongst friends. It was like, oh, I'd rather listen to the Chariot or Norma Jean. It was kind of you picked one or the other. It's interesting because I think that with the Chariot, it went Norma Jean's like first iteration. It kind of feels like Josh Scoggin like was the band. You know, people people really enjoyed like the charisma he brought as a front person, and uh, he just has a really intense uh, live presence. And once that was gone, and I mean, I, there's no original members in Norma Jean, so I, mm-hmm. I just think a lot of people kind of like maybe the vision of the original band is lost. Um, 
But with the chariot, it seems like everybody that was in that band, people knew like on a full name basis, and they were all interesting people in their own right that just happened to come together and start an interesting band together. And I think that gave it a lot more longevity because you have a band that's making music that's cool and different, but also all of the people in the band are personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I assume by that you've seen them live? Twice. Okay. I saw yeah. them, I think it was 2013 they played Warp Tour. Uh, and I thought it was really weird that they were on Warp Tour, but I was really yeah. excited about it. And then that same year... In October, they played their farewell tour. The first day was in Colombia. So mm. I was really excited to see them, but also upset because I would never see them again. Yeah. Have you gotten into like uh, 68? I tried really hard. Um, I wanted to like it because I think Josh is cool, but mm-hmm. uh, I-, I respect 68. But do I sit down and listen to it? Not really. Uh, you know, I-, I don't really need. There's not a need for like a blues rock uh, Nirvana kind of thing going on in my life right now, but I'm I'm happy he's happy doing it. Speaking of Nirvana, for a second, man. Um, <laughs> so the uh, the song "The Deaf Policeman," yeah, uh, men. Um, that riff in the song is the negative creep riff. Yeah, yeah. It, do you, so do you feel like that is on purpose? Oh, absolutely. Like there so Josh is like at least I know he is. I'm pretty sure the rest of the band would be uh very open Nirvana fan. Uh the mm-hmm. first 68 single like the artwork was a rip off of the Bleach artwork. Okay. Um yeah, there is a there was some fucking other thing that they did that was a rip off of Kurt Cobain and I can't remember what it is. I think it was also in 68. 68 takes a lot of Nirvana influence, even like direct rips. Uh, they covered Territorial Pissings, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, that was like one of the first things they they did with that band. But uh, yeah, no, the the, <laughs> the the stealing of riffs was very intentional. Yeah, I was like, there's no way that that isn't, you know, an homage, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just straight up in the song. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought it was awesome because by the time that I was, like, finding this band, the only, like, punk bands that I listened to were, like, Blink-182 and Nirvana and Bowling for Soup and, like, whatever the fuck else was on, like, Rock Band 2 and Guitar Hero 3. Yeah. Like, if there was a punk band on there, that's what I thought was a cool punk band. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes people forget that about whenever they get to a point in like their musical journey, they kind of like forget that people get into these kind of like, uh, not entry level bands. Uh, you know, I, I want to say a better, you know, it's like your gate, your, uh, what gateway would you call it? is a good way. Gateway. To put it, okay. They're a good launch point. Yeah. So there's like gateway bands. Um, I feel like people kind of like, you know, just in a sense, like people kind of, make fun of them after a certain point you know it's like it's almost like a joke to be into foo fighters you know or it's like even like nirvana is like a reference it's like you know you know it it seems like elementary but it's like when you're getting in to the stuff that's like one all you know and two you know like the most important things in the world so it's it's funny that kind of like these things that are touchstones become 
you know, almost like the way to suss out people that, you know, fakers, you know, that kind of <laughs> gatekeeping, you know, yeah, is really interesting. And I'm not saying I, I haven't been a person that has probably done it to people, but it's kind of like, you know, the Norma Jean or the Chariot probably would be that for a lot of people that got into more chaotic kind of metalcore stuff, you know. Yeah, it uh, it definitely opened uh, my interests up to pushing the genre and finding bands that were uh, going as like balls to the wall as possible. But it's funny that you're bringing up gatekeeping because I think by the time that I got into this band, I was like, I was so new to all of this, but then was like, well, this is cool, so I'm gonna gatekeep all this shit too, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I would never tell a Nirvana fan to check out the Chariot because they were were like directly influenced by them. I would probably mm-hmm. just tell somebody that they need to like figure it out. And I guess like even liking metalcore as a whole. And do you? I mean, you've played in like you know metalcore bands and whatnot. Like growing up, or did you grow up in Columbia? Yeah, I grew up outside of Columbia. Okay, in South Carolina. Uh, how do you think that when you were growing up, people viewed metalcore at that time? Uh, I don't know. I I uh, was pretty disconnected from like the metal and hardcore scene, I think, until I was, I don't know, kind of getting towards the end of high school. I was really starting to get into like the more like underground pop punk alt rock scene uh, when I was getting into this. And this was like the I don't tell anybody about it band that I listened to. Other than, like, my two friends that showed it to me, this isn't something that I was, like, really open about, which I don't understand why. That's just what I chose to do. Maybe it was, like, a societal pressure thing, because I went to, like, up until I was, like, 14, I went to a hella Christian uh, private school, just because, like, there were two schools in the town that I lived in, and that's the one my parents picked until I, like, begged them to pull me out when I got to high school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like none of those people would know what the fuck I'm talking about, and they'd probably like look down on me for listening to it, even though it was Christian music. Yeah. Uh, uh, they just didn't get it. It wasn't for them. So it's just something that I never talked about. It turns out, uh, metalcore was gigantic in Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's like I didn't figure that out until way after the fact. But I mean, like now. I really love a lot of the hardcore bands that came out of Columbia. I mean, right now there's still some good ones too. Uh, I think Your Spirit Dies is dope. I think Pretty Women is awesome. Uh, and then of course you have like legacy bands like Stretch Armstrong that are from there. Yeah. Who? Uh, there is some like big like butt rock band from Columbia, but I can't remember what was it. Switchfoot. Are they from Columbia. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There definitely there definitely is. Um... It's not live. Um, it's someone later than that. But yeah, it's either that, not Chevelle. It's probably it might be Switchfoot. Chevelle. Uh, I know Chevelle is from Florida. I know okay. Chevelle's from Florida. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a very Florida band. Well, yeah, there was also I think when I was coming up, there was a band called Where It Ends that were big in Colombia. You know, so but they yeah they were definitely more I guess viewed as like on the hardcore side. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, when I was, like, 16 and 17, I started going to, like, a lot of hardcore house shows and, like, crust punk shows and shit mm-hmm. like that because, like, I found out that that's what was actually big within the communities there. And uh, that's more so when I was really open about being into it and, like, kind of expanded my view and got into other shit. But the Chariot, they stuck around through the whole thing. Like, they've always been, like, a band I can go back to. Yeah. 
So one of the things I realized when putting my notes together for is that the first eight tracks are like a poem. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it's like if you read it back to back, they faced each other, they drew their swords and shot each other. The deaf policeman heard this noise then came to kill the two dead boys. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, that's an interesting thing I think that's like a, it's a real nursery rhyme. Yeah. If I remember correctly, they were into stuff like that. I mean, a lot of their albums, if you look at One Wing, the entire track list is a sentence. Every song is one word. So it's uh, Forget Not Your First Love Speak in uh, Tongue in Cheek, I think. I don't remember. Uh, have you ever spent a lot of time in Georgia? Uh, Not more than I needed to. I've been to Augusta a good decent bit um, just because there used to be a music scene down there, and mm-hmm. one of my first bands played in Augusta a few times. Uh, the screen printer that I do most of the Acrobat projects through and like the Stress Fractures stuff is based in Augusta. Uh, I've played Atlanta a handful of times. Yeah, I think what's funny about... Like I, f- I feel like Georgians definitely have that. It's like if you're from like a smaller town, that's the one you claim. I feel like it would be like if you went around being like, "I'm from Irmo." Yeah, I don't yeah. tell people I'm from Winsboro. If somebody asks, "Oh, where do you live?" I just tell them Columbia, even though that's like half an hour away. Or being like you're from, you know, Matthews, and you know, instead of saying you're from Charlotte, you know. Yeah, of course. Like being from Douglasville, you you would conceivably just claim Atlanta. Sure. That's the only point. Uh, yeah, I don't know. People do that a lot in Georgia. I feel like it's like they'll be like, "I'm from Dahlonega," or "I'm from like, uh, you know, Dawsonville." And yeah. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter to anyone, you know. But also another thing that I noticed when putting the notes together is Haley Williams. Oh yeah. Guested on, then came to kill. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you know anything? about that i mean it sounds what's interesting about it now is like when you think about it in like 2022 standards of like what that means so the mass public now knows that Haley williams is tapped into punk and hardcore um back then i think that maybe paramore fans paramore fans probably didn't even know what the fuck this is they like probably never even heard of it Mm -hmm. um and I'm sure there were definitely, like, the group of, like, douchey hardcore bros that were, like, seeing it as, like, sort of like a clout grab kind of thing. Like, maybe mm-hmm. she, you know, like, why is she here kind of thing. But I think I think the real ones knew that this was Haley's way of saying, I love this shit and, like, stop thinking I'm just, like, you know, the pop punk girl from Paramore. That's how I always saw it. Yeah, I was I was almost thinking that that was like pretty early for Paramore, but I guess that was right around the time Riot came out. So, yep. so they would have still been a pretty big band. Yeah. But even now, it's like it feels like why it, it now it would feel like uh, why is Haley kind of slumming it with this band, you know? Yeah. In a way, but in that time, it's like I think that I want... if she did something like this now, people would be way more into it than they, you know, assumably were in 2007 yeah like Uh, i feel like the scenes were viewed as such different things at that point it would have almost been a two of mutual benefit like now like you're saying if Haley williams did it it's like gonna elevate the band like to a crazy amount 
then it's sort of like good for each person yeah <laughs> and like like think about paramore as a band in 2007 all we know is falling is like kind of a post-hardcore album at mm-hmm. at, at its at its heart uh you know there's screaming on it there's kind of breakdowny chuggy parts and like they're that line six insane tone on all the guitars like it definitely was not the pop punk album that riot was and riot definitely like kept a lot of its punk root to it but like it had a lot of commercial appeal that the first record didn't and i i could see you know i could see Haley being a fan of the chariot then but i could also see josh seeing what they're doing and wanting to bring them in you know yeah and they were both of like kind of christian upbringings uh yeah which i know has like been a thing in the news lately with the old paramore members uh yeah (laughs) but but yeah that's like you kind of mentioned about going to a christian school so were you going to a christian school just because you were put in the school or were you raised christian uh my family is very uh non-religious Okay, interesting. Yeah, I yeah. had I had never stepped foot in a church until I moved to South Carolina. We we grew up, I I didn't like grow up in New Jersey, but like I spent enough of my life there that I've claimed it. And uh yeah, I I didn't even know what church was, just to be simple. Wow. That's really interesting too, especially like when you moved to uh Winsboro is the town. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I feel like Knowing that you're from outside of Columbia and knowing that we picked a chariot record, like I would have assumed that you were raised Christian. No, uh, Keegan and Jake were super Christian, uh, for a period of time, but, uh, they've, you know, I won't speak for them really, but I'm pretty sure they're both out of it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean like Jake was really into like the whole like cornerstone uh music festival like breed of music. So like Devil Wears Prada, Chariot, Norma Jean, uh I don't think he liked Reliant K, but I know that they're like thrown in there too. So it's like he had he had a lot of like punk and hardcore exposure through Christianity and then shared that with us. Hmm. Um and I didn't really give a shit about the Christianity part. I just thought the music was good. Yeah, does it does listening to the chariot or bands like that does it so it doesn't really matter to you it's just kind of just another band of this type pretty much i mean a lot of them a a lot of their like you know christian themes uh kind of get buried in metaphor so it's like yeah i think that makes it uh have a the the broader appeal that someone like me could be into it uh, but even at the same time, if I thought the music was interesting enough, I didn't really give a shit about what they were saying. I mean, like you could look at like, like old, uh, of mice and men, you know, and stuff like that, where they're singing about God. I didn't care. I just wanted to hear the breakdown. Um, the same with like me without you. Like, yeah. it's like, I, it never really read. I knew that they were Christian, but I feel like when I listen to them, you know, unless I'm missing things, it's like, I don't see a lot of overt things with them you know yeah it's just uh, kind of that was a band i had no idea was anything to do with christian same with like uh like david bazon's music i didn't know that there was any like christian tone to that at any point in time until way later um devil wears prada i should have like figured it out sooner but one time when i was like 10 years old i was i just googled uh christian metal because i thought that didn't make any sense and i thought it would be funny and yeah. there was like a, a YouTube video of like the top ten greatest Christian metal breakdowns. And, Did it have uh, like Striper on there? 
probably the one that stuck with me with was was goats on a boat by <laughs> devil wears prada and i was like hold on this isn't funny yeah this is awesome i actually i am just now realizing that devil wears prada was christian i oh, had yeah. no i had no clue i mean yeah <laughs> so, so i mean in that same way it's like well, it's you because know, it's was... like it's so cheeky to be a Christian band and call your band "The Devil Wears Prada." Yeah, I would have thought that it's too on the nose to assume that they were Christian. Yeah, yeah, but uh, <laughs> nah, those boys love Jesus. That's why they write good riffs. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know, but I guess like growing up in or you know spending all that time in South Carolina, it's yeah. like you were receiving it, but you weren't. and i like i tried to fully embrace christianity too like uh when kids at my school were like what church do you go to i was just like i don't so they all invited me to whatever churches they were going to and for a while i was like playing musical churches and trying them out and i hated all of them but like i liked getting to hang out with other kids so like i went to i went to church like normally for like a year or two when i first moved to south carolina and then I just got tired of waking up on a Sunday. Yeah. So I th- I think my dad still because I was raised um, the it's called apostolic, but it's essentially for people that don't know it's just Pentecostal. Okay. Um, but they're like, oh, Pentecostal's not strict enough. Yeah. Okay. So that's what it is. But I feel like my dad still goes to the church I was raised in because of like that's where his friends hang out. Of course. You know, like he likes the community of it. You yeah, know? by the, by the time I was a teenager, I was still going to youth group on like Wednesdays and Sunday evenings because that's where everybody else was. And you know, if it's either that or I can sit at home by myself and do whatever it is I was going to do, but uh I'd rather like go to church, get fed for free, uh yeah. listen to a guy talk for like half an hour and then like you know blast music out of like a pocket eye home and like ride skateboards around like the the what the basketball arena thing that was in the church sounds you know? pretty sick yeah the, that's that's what i'm grateful for <laughs> in christianity is that I, I i thought skateboarding and punk rock was cool and somehow christianity played into yeah. that yeah when you're like a little kid and you go to like sunday school it's like you're you're like going full throttle hanging with your friends for like 90% of it and then 10% of it you have to like sit down and someone tells you about Jesus. Yeah. And so it's like if you can accept the 10%, then yeah, the rest is like, you know, eating donuts or, you know, Pepsi or something, you know, yeah. like you're just doing some other like shit, you know. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Yeah, we would uh we would like pick up kids in the uh in the van for like church uh, cuz my dad like drove a route and they would give kids like bags of candy. So it's like <laughs> They were just being enticed to go for like candy, which I'm like, if I don't think that would be enough of a lure for me, and it, and it also sounds kind of creepy, but there's nothing. Yeah. yeah, but it's like they would be like, oh, we're gonna get snacks. So the thing, like you know, like oh, they'd feed you. That's like probably such a real thing with like so many kids. Like, so it's funny that you're bringing that up because the church that I like regularly went to with my family for a couple of years. Uh, it was like an hour and a half long service and there was a 15 minute segment in the middle of every service where all of the children of the congregation would come to the very front pew and the pastor would come down off of his stand and like get on his like you know sit on his knee or like crisscross in front of us and make like a kid version of the sermon he's trying to give so that we could understand the message he's trying to give 
and he yeah. would give us a piece of candy for listening at the end if we listened well enough. So yeah, it does sound very predatory, but the guy he was actually a good preacher. He he yeah. gave good sermons every 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 week. Yeah, every week. Um, yeah. And I I don't know. I feel like my parents were non-Christian. Then they went. They thought he was a good enough speaker to like justify bringing me for as long as they did. But as soon as I was like, I don't want to go anymore. They were like, Yeah, we don't either. Well, yeah, that's got to be like a big thing too. Like, if you have a kid and i don't don't know you know maybe it's i know like i was i didn't have much money growing up so it's like you kind of with your parents like you kind of get a free babysitter for a little bit you know it's true (laughs) um yeah no my parents were very attentive when i was a child uh so they didn't really have to worry about that um but yeah i don't know i think they just like hearing this guy talk but he quit and then i wanted to stop going because i didn't give a shit and then they were like cool this is our reason yeah i i was also i was reading something about um well i guess more in the terms of a christian record um so this record was nominated for a dove dove music award for the packaging what is that (laughs) um so dove music award is like a christian music award oh okay yeah and jesus freak hideout Gave this album 3.5 stars out of 5. Wow. So that's pretty good. That's high praise. Yeah, high, definitely praise. Um, <laughs> and, but I think, uh, I don't know if you knew a lot of like, uh, since you weren't like overtly Christian or raised that way, um, a lot of the kind of Christian bands I knew, it's like, it's not that they weren't Christian and identified as it, but a lot of times it's like, they were raised in those churches, so they knew they could get a record deal if they didn't push against it on like Solid State, because the distribution was really good for Solid State. There was this Juliana theory um, tells a story about essentially they could make a decision. Hostfall kind of said the same thing. Essentially, they had like Trust Kill and Solid State, so both were kind of with the same decisions. Yeah. So Juliana theory was like oh, we know we can move this many units because of Christian bookstores if we stay on, like, solid state. Mm-hmm. And Hope's Fall were like, well, we don't feel like we're overtly Christian. We are, like, the band isn't Christian. Like, they were still Christians. Yeah. But so they decided to go with Trustkill. Okay. Because they didn't want to kind of, like, uh, exploit that, you know, those fans. Sure, sure. And yeah, so this is a it's a whole inter- other world. Yeah. I had no idea any of this was going on. <laughs> so... It's interesting because, like, Solid State, it's like they just had that built-in pipeline. Like, it's like a regular record store would carry it, but you also just had, like, thousands of more units or whatever, you know, because uh, a Christian bookstore. And, like, any kid, you know, like, I have this experience that even, like, my wife does. Like, you, if your parents would take you to a Christian bookstore and they'd let you buy whatever. Mm -hmm. So, like, you could pick that up. But and they know even if it's screaming and they think it's the devil, they know they took you to a Christian bookstore, so you yeah, know, they're chill with it. You know, like my parents were like, like I I started listening to ska stuff like Five Iron Frenzy, and that's a Christian ska band. I didn't so, even know that was a subcategory. <laughs> that's crazy. There's yeah, there's a lot of Christian ska stuff. I mean, um, it, I mean it's like a pretty positive upbeat music. So yeah. you know, it's like you know, and they would overtly have songs about like being christian and whatnot 
Um, and then essentially I could slip in like a non-Christian ska band. And since it sounded exactly the same, who would know? I could, they wouldn't know. Cause my dad would just be like, this all sounds like clown music to me. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So I feel like you could kind of like trick your parents into getting into like heavier music in a way. And I know a lot of kids that I like was friends with, that's how they did it. You know, mm-hmm. that's how they got to go to the New Brooklyn Tavern and see we got metalcore bands. It's because, Mom, it's Christian. Yeah. You know? And then at, it got to the point where they weren't actually Christian bands anymore. But, you know, it all sounds like Screamo, so. Yeah. Yeah, I remember because I kind of, like, grew up with some of the guys from He Is Legend. Um, and they kind of were having that conversation, too, about the idea that, like, they were raised Christian. But it wasn't like they identified themselves. And, like, none of the themes within the band were Christian. Yeah. So kind of, like, taking that solid state money was a problem, you know. Yeah, I-, I could see the moral dilemma. That makes sense. Yeah. And I know Josh has said that he's like, well, we are Christians who are in a band, you know. But you know, it's like to say we're a Christian band. You and know. that's what I always found interesting, I think, about uh, Stretch Armstrong, is that most all of their music is put out on Capital Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just a hardcore punk band. They don't say anything about being Christians in any of those songs, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think a- they, they go they go the way of uh, that we were talking about earlier with that uh, Chariot often does. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's kind of a metaphor, you know, so it's like the struggle with something, you know, which is what hardcore is. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, uh, that kind of thing, you know, I wanted to talk more about the split of him leaving Norma Jean, but then when I read about it, uh, it he was like, God I just thought it was my right? time to leave. Yeah. He was like, I just was felt like it was my time to leave. Yeah. He's, and he said, I wish that I could tell you, he started like, he said, I wish I could tell you it was like because of an alien abduction or something is what he's quoted, you know, some big reason. <laughs> but he's like, I just thought it was time to leave. And so it's like, y'all give me no controversy for this. <laughs> they really just did their thing and left. Yeah, they did. It's like, I mean, now looking at 10 years, like 10 years would have felt so long, but it's like, I've been in a band for 10 years. So it's like, they put out a bunch of records in a 10 year time and just said, that's it yeah it's wild and they all moved on they're all doing something else now yeah and i don't think any of them have any interest in bringing this band back yeah um one of the guys he's he doesn't play on this record um but he was in the band later he plays in that band fever 333 yeah steven yeah and uh you know it is interesting to see like it's like one of the guys in poison the well ended up playing in like sleigh bells really okay that's news to me that's crazy yeah it's like to kind of see where people kind of end up yeah it's always really interesting and i mean like i i if i remember right josh goggin has a family like kids Mm -hmm. yeah probably just was done you know 68 68 i mean still makes its rounds and does like festivals and support slots and everything but it's you know it's not super consistent he definitely almost definitely would like time with his family i wouldn't mm-hmm. if i were you know in my 30s or 40s and had kids and a wife like probably would hang it up for a little bit yeah i mean home. 
things start adding up you know I, yeah. I don't even i don't even have kids but it's like if i did i'd be out i'm already like in a lot of ways maybe because of the pandemic it's like i'm already like half out in a lot of ways you know yeah and so it's understandable because i always thought like i always looked at i have a lot of friends that i felt like whenever they have this story like older friends i know they'll be like 40 something and they're sure. always starting like a new band and then I'm like, but then it's always like, there's like a 10 year gap. I have like so many friends where that's their story. Yeah. But it's like, it's like they, that, that kind of point, they have kids and then they're like, oh, I now have time because they're like 10 or something that I can like come back to it. Yeah. And so I was always kind of like, why do all of these people that I know that are, you know, older than me starting the, these bands in their forties, you know, that yeah, are putting yeah. out records again. It's like a common thing. And it's so, yeah, to be like a person like Josh that you know could put it away for a while would be understandable you yeah know? um and i think i understand like why 68 seems to operate the way it does you know it's really just like the two of them yeah because well it's probably a lot easier to deal with with a lot of schedules <laughs> yeah of course yeah no uh i don't know well i think like what i want to get into is kind of like your like how this record, because you're saying like this is a record you heard early on and it still, you know, speaks to you. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like it influences your songwriting now? It's it's funny that you should ask because like ever ever since I started getting into music like this, I always was like I would love to front a band like this. I would love to play guitar in a band like this. Um, I am not very good at doing scream yell vocals Mm -hmm. and i also cannot wrap my head around how to write hardcore guitar it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me how how i can make it work in like the way that i write music for any of my other bands because i think that a lot of my other bands at their core are, are pop bands yeah but uh there's no pop sensibility to this there's no choruses there's no melodies it's just loud noise and uh uh heavy but i would say that this album and this like style of music really heavily affected how i play drums Mm -hmm. um you know i i really picked up on how to do that shit quick when i was listening to albums like this um and i think this is like what the kind of music that i i think is where i shine on a drum kit is just playing really hard and really fast uh so i'd say this album definitely helped me when i am structuring songs from the ground up and starting with drums and bass Mm -hmm. but if i'm just trying to like write some riffs or something i'm not going to be hanging out with this one for too long yeah that's an interesting thing because i feel like i've always been a person that like i like a lot of like heavy music and let's say like power violence or like a lot of like straight edge hardcore and whatnot but it's like i can't for the life of me like write a song that feels like it doesn't get into some like melody yeah (laughs) you know and it's like you could you could do it but i always felt like it's like i can't quite nail that kind of precision that it needs or just like that feeling of like brute force like it always goes into some kind of hook thing and it's always so it's like i'm not i've never been able to be like in the kind of like hardcore bands that i wanted but i think it's more important to be like kind of true to like how you write naturally yeah of course you know yeah i uh i used to have this one screamo band with with keegan and jake uh 
called unsettled and i'd say that like it was like touche amore the chariot worship like that's definitely keegan figured it out right away like how to write guitar parts like that um and i didn't know how to play drums when we started that band but i figured it out because i was like i don't know what else i can do because neither of us owned a bass like the very first like pop punk band i ever had was two guitars and drums there was no bass none of us owned a bass we didn't know anybody that owned one so (laughs) we just made that work and uh this album helped me figure that out really well and uh there is one song on the the singular record we put out the last song on that record is like straight up just a chariot song if i ever if i ever heard somebody trying to rip them off like it was that but yeah 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 i don't know it it definitely influenced that i'd say that like even like the project that keegan and i are working on right now is is pretty directly influenced by this um but it also is like scary music you know Hmm. this isn't very scary it's just kind of like ballistic yeah yeah have you um one thing i was thinking with like if you're kind of writing music like that Matt Goldman, the stuff that he produced, like As Cities Burn, Under Oath, Vanna, and you know, and The Chariot, obviously. Yeah. Um, I wonder. I I guess he's still producing things, but I, I really think that that's like a strong point of this record, like how mm-hmm. it's produced, is like just makes it pop because there's so many aspects of this record that I've heard done poorly, and a lot of that is production. Yeah. Like it's like the vocals are mixed in a perfect place that it it's that that way to kind of like mix vocals especially screamy vocals uh, it's like you're trying to compete with the guitar to like get over it but you're not quite but you're not you're also not having to like kind of strain to hear that somebody's doing this, vocals of course this is definitely yeah. one of those rare instances where you have a heavy record but i can still understand every single individual word that's being said yeah you know, it's crystal clear. Big ups to Matt Goldman. Yeah, they got lucky with that one. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, but I, so he lives in the kind of Atlanta, uh, Douglasville area. So it seems like, you know, that type of band, it's wild to just think like to have that type of producer just there. And I mean, because of, because of like how close to home everything they did was, that spawned that whole like wave of music coming out of georgia too because i mean like look at like me and the trinity or the callous dow boys like both of those bands launch pads was sounding like the chariot in some way not to yeah, true you know i'm not saying that's exactly what they were doing maybe it was maybe it wasn't i know both of them liked those bit ba- like that band um and when i found both of those bands the first thought that i had was this reminds me of the chariot it's just it's a very atlanta sound of hardcore that's just kind of what i've pieced together from from that whole group yeah, I mean, Atlanta has always had, like, a really strong scene, it feels like. But it also feels like, when I think of Atlanta right now, I always, like, when I'm trying to think of, like, a bunch of locals, it's kind of hard to me. There's always, like, a top few. You know, it's like, I feel like if someone were to ask me what locals in Charlotte, then I feel like I could give, give them a list of, like, you know, 10 bands. Yeah. You know, it's like whether or not they'd be able to play or not, but it's like, you know, it's like, but with Atlanta, I feel like I struggle to, it's like slow fire pistol, callous Dow boys. And, <laughs> you know, you know, but I feel like it's always been that way. It's like, 
Atlanta knows Atlanta, but it's like hard to kind of break in to figure out what's going on. But it's also alternatively always been like a southern Seattle and a poor way to put it. I can see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because even when you think about bands like cartels from the Atlanta area. Yeah. You know, so always. And I wonder if that even has a lot to do with like a church scene there. You know, kind of supporting a lot of these bands. I mean, it's it's like one of the biggest cities in the South, like in the heart of the Bible Belt. I could definitely be see it being like a mega church situation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you feel like you could name like five Atlanta bands right now, excluding the ones you just said? <laughs> and do they? What scale do they have to be on? Like how active? I uh, really are they? like. Would you would you hypothetically uh, ask to play a show? Who Not, would I you know. hypothetically ask to play a show? Uh, huh. <laughs> uh, Blurry, they're cool. They're kind of like the like title fight citizen kind of emo okay, pop cool. punk. Uh, Stay Here is also like a pop punk band that's kind of cool. Uh, $100 Million is another one of those Chariot style bands. That band is cool. Uh, Smoke Detector is based out of Atlanta now. They're like a, like a twinkly emo band. Hmm. Uh, you got Dow Boys, uh, Michael well, Sarapalin. Yeah, that's better than I did. So yeah, and then but like when I think of Atlanta music, and I'm not thinking of like, you know, my insular group of friends or you know colleagues or what have you. Probably just gonna be like, oh, Manchester Orchestra, Microwave, <laughs> uh, yeah, The Chariot. Yeah, and I guess like one thing I the kind of last thing I really like about this record. Uh, is it's 29 minutes long like that's it's it goes so quick and there are records where it's like they're 28 minutes long but they feel like 40 minutes like this feels quick but it it also feels like it's like like sometimes like joyce manor records feel too short um you know it's like it's you know it's like you could have done a little you know a little bit more but this feels like a complete document and i'm like every record of this type should be exactly this length yeah absolutely now i have a a terrible attention span um and if your record's longer than like 20 or 25 minutes it has to be interesting enough to keep me pulled in and i i don't think that uh there is anything in this album that's not for me you know the 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 first what is it nine tracks leading up to the end of it it all just seems pretty seamless one after the other uh um it's paced really well and then i think when we get to the end of the record with the trumpet uh the song not the instrument um it's it's almost like the the beautiful like choir track is the most jarring thing of the whole album that's that's where i'm like what the fuck is going on and get scared that's the scary part of the hardcore album is when it stops being scary you know i wonder i i think it's just because i was a raised christian that whole like the trumpet thing when i was growing up i worried about the rapture and um like i would go to sleep like there was a thing where i felt like if i didn't like ask for forgiveness before i went to sleep I was worried that, like, if the rapture came, then I would go to hell. Sure. Like, and I I wonder, like, what if that plays into it? Because, like, the trumpet, the trumpet and the rapture thing is, like, a 
big thing in Christianity, if if anyone doesn't know, I assume most people would, uh, that it's like when you hear the trumpet, you know, you're all getting pulled up to heaven. But I like to think of this record being like, what would the rapture feel like? Like, it'd be really chaotic. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, like, so I wonder if there's some thought out thing with like Christian metalcore bands, like, or this record specifically. And I know it, it's like half a joke, but it's like, is the trumpet supposed to signify like someone finally going to heaven? Like the after, as the rapture's happening? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know anything about the apocalypse. I never read the book of Genesis or whatever, you know, it's all, it's all news to me. My most like hands-on experience with the rapture is probably that this is the end movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, (laughs) that's like probably as like close as it gets for me. Have you watched, you haven't watched the Nicolas Cage left behind movie? No. I, oh, there was God. also what was that that TV show The One Hundred? Is that about the Rapture? I think that's about like alien abductions or something. Oh, I thought but it was I, a Christian I could be thing. wrong. I don't it, know. I mean, it could be. Um, yeah. So there's okay. So so I guess yeah, I'm, can I'm you, educating. Can you school me on a uh, Christianity real quick? Yeah. So do you know about like the Left Behind book series? Yes, actually, uh, okay, that was very so, popular at my Christian middle school. Yeah. So. Around the time that it was popular, um, there was a movie, well, a Left Behind movie that had, like, Kirk Cameron in it. Oh, like he's, okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and so, but for, and then there's, like, three movies. The third one, I think, has Mr. T in it. And it's called <laughs> Left Behind Tribulation Force. Uh, and so, essentially, the premise of Left Behind is the rapture comes, and in the movie... It's like people are getting pulled out of their cars and cars are crashing into each other. So it's like chaotic as fuck. And then, but when people look in the person's car, their clothes are folded. Yeah. You know, because they've been pulled up to heaven. Uh, So. Okay. So are what you saying, or wait, are you saying that leading up to the final track of the album is the chaos that is the rapture and then the trumpet is what you hear as you're entering heaven is that your theory that's my theory but it's really based on nothing it's only based on the fact that this is a christian band yeah (laughs) yeah but it is Um, also called the trumpet so to be a christian band and have something called the trumpet and essentially it's like it's like an angel chorus yeah you know it's it it seems like at least half a valid theory i i could definitely put uh see them putting some weight in that i think that's a great theory yeah um yeah i don't know for what it's worth you were mentioning uh fear of the rapture until i was like 12 i definitely kept like a pocket bible with me because i was impressionable and i was told that if i didn't like there was like it was a methodist pocket bible that had like a thing you fill out in the back like with your name and like you sign it and it's like it's your signature signing yourself over to God. Mm-hmm. So I would keep that on me in case I ever thought I was going to die for fear that if there is a heaven and hell, well, if I'm about to go out, I can just sign my name over to Jesus and then I'm not going to burn forever. Yeah. It's like you're, uh, it was like hedging your bet, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but, uh... I just thought, I thought <laughs> of you with a meme of you holding the Bible and it said, I keep that thing on me. Uh, <laughs> That uh, uh, that could be the episode image. 
just really throw everybody through a loop yeah just like damn i didn't know marty was a christian that's i mean whatever i you know i'm not hating but you know this is a lot of new news um so yeah hey, but, after okay. today i might be who's to say you might be yeah i'm this is actually i'm trying to witness to you and <laughs> lead you back to the lord because uh, i feel like we almost had you and we almost had you because if you're carrying around a methodist bible then i think you just need one more hardship in your life, and you'll probably come back to God. Yeah, maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll become like a straight edge Christian in like the next ten years. Yeah, and as a straight edge person, I will say it feels very redundant to be a straight edge and Christian. Yeah, you know, it's like you gotta. I for a long time, and I'm I'm vegetarian now, but since I was straight edge or sober, um, I felt like I didn't want to become vegetarian because like the connotation of being straight edge and vegetarian felt like so much, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, not, but, but yeah. not to derail this too far, but well, this is all about being derailed on this podcast. Yeah. Um, because you're talking about the, the connotation that comes with being a vegetarian. Do you ever tell somebody that you don't eat meat? And the first thing they jump to is, Oh my God, are you vegan? I know this is a stupid topic to bring up. No, 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 it's great. I think because... that's happened to me more in like the last week and a half than it has in my entire life. I haven't eaten meat in a very, very long time. I thought people um, didn't do it as much anymore, but I feel like people people used to do that a bunch. I remember going to um, a friend's birthday party and... Uh, Lancaster, South Carolina. Oh hell yeah! And I and I know I'm pronouncing it wrong for people that live there, um, but I think they say like Lancaster. Yeah, uh, I say Lancaster. That's yeah, just that's what sounds the, right. Well, it's funny because people were like, "Oh, you're from up north," and it's like, "No, I just had like a speech problem as a kid, so I enunciate things." Um, so it kind of like fucked up me sounding more <laughs> southern. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but I remember um, one of my friends were there and um they were like hey you want a burger to him like justin you want a burger yeah and he was like no i don't eat meat and then our friend's mom was like you need to reread your bible what (laughs) 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 yeah Uh, that's like oh that's such like a small town southern thing though because that's like kind of what it was it's like they looked at me and they're like you don't eat meat you don't believe in god well what's wrong with you yeah I'm like, I don't fucking know. I just didn't feel like eating it anymore. It literally comes from nothing other than that. I just didn't feel like it. Yeah, me and uh, Neil and Late Bloomer were talking last night. Like, both of our parents um, are both, like, conservative. Sure. And, like, we were talking about, like, people that are from the South, but they were raised by, like, you know, we'll just say, like, liberal parents. It's like, it's like. It's either, like, you're lucky or that's, like, impossible. It's, like, it's mind-blowing to us. Yeah. Like, everyone we know were, like, feel like they were raised by conservative parents and they're just not conservative now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I yeah. Know. That I mean, that seems to be the case with a lot of my friends. Uh, I think I was, like, more so on the fortunate end where I had friends whose parents were sort of similar to mine in the sense that, like, they gave a shit about us. But, like, as long as we weren't causing trouble, they didn't give a shit what we were doing yeah so it's just like i feel like i spent a lot of time not really talking to the parents and now that i've like come back to like seeing those people as an adult i'm like finding out that they're actually like pretty normal people (laughs) and that like 
you know, I'm just fortunate that it turns out my friends that I really enjoyed were actually raised by like good people. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about because you played and uh, my brother, my sister that put out like a yeah. single on self-aware um, and just like how cool it would be to like have a parent like it seemed like dylan's parent was to like yeah kind of let them do all that stuff at a young age I mean, even your parents too like to let you like play music like that at a young age i feel like isn't everyone's experience you yeah know? and i mean i honestly think that like me meeting dylan had a lot to do with my mom kind of just like opening up further and letting me do my thing because my mom did own a music venue uh until i was 18 i think from like the okay. time I was like 13 until she was 18 or I was 18. Uh, but through that, because like I, I thought New Brooklyn Tavern was so cool and I wanted to like bring pop punk shows and shit to like to Winsboro, you know, whoever thought that oh, would yeah. happen. There was definitely a three year period where I was like booking hardcore and pop punk there. Um, yeah. Just because I had the tools at my disposal and that like got me to like hopping on the Internet and hitting up every single band I'd ever seen in Columbia like my brother and my sister and being like hey we should play together sometime uh and then just like getting to hang out with the kitrills and like see like their awesome like gear selection to pick from at the house and like oh they do shows in their living room and uh uh you know they, dylan gets to play out on the weekends and like go out of town for shows and my mom was like oh well you seem interested in this because your friend is interested so go on do it yeah yeah. That's always been a thing that I've, I really admired about you as a person. I feel like all of the kind of different versions I knew of you growing up, I feel like you were you were like always there. It's like you were in a different band. You were at the show that we were playing or something. But like you were always a person that was doing something. It's like the one person in Scott Pilgrim, Julie, that's just everywhere because <laughs> she always has a job like wherever yeah. Scott ends up going. I'm like Julie for like pop punk kids. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. Like, and I think that there was even a point like with me being in bands, it always felt like we weren't like told how to do things. So I always kind of like felt behind the curve, but I think that's like someone my age, that's like a common thing. Yeah. Like, uh, you, all, people even older than me, like gate kept the shit out of every fucking detail, like how to book a show. They're like, figure it out your fucking self. I remember one time I tried to put out a record and I tried to, like, ask a friend, you know, about, like, oh, what do you do? You know, I didn't know anything about, like, you had to get a master for vinyl and all that stuff. And then, yeah. essentially, I went to put everything in the plant. And then, finally, they were, like, you know, oh, you got to get it, like, mastered for vinyl and all this stuff. And it's, like, I don't – how the fuck am I supposed to know any yeah. of that stuff, you know? Uh, but just to, like, finally have, you know, those people in your life. But I think, like, as – your generation and maybe it's just you <laughs> um but i feel like a lot of your friends like you know they're it felt like y'all were like 15 years old like messaging us or people we, i knew about like hey can i play in charlotte yeah which was like for us it was like we were like i don't know 20 or something where it's like oh shit i can play out of town yeah you know? but it's like y'all already knew that you know and so that was always interesting I, uh, yeah, I don't think I really thought too much about playing, like, outside of Columbia until I was, like, 16, and I made, I, uh, <laughs> the first show that I ever booked was an all-day festival at my mom's bar, and, mm. uh, I don't know why I thought of being, I think I, my mindset must have been that if I do something so ambitious, it has to put this on the map, right? Makes sense. I mean, I did that with Treasure Fest in, like, 2010. Yeah. That was, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I booked a. I booked Summertime Radness, that's what it was called, which was a play on the, at the time, hit single, Summertime Sadness, by okay. Lana Del Rey. Yeah. But, you know, we were we liked pizza and Tumblr.com, so radness was definitely the word uh, to use there. Um, and I asked a bunch of bands that I just had seen at New Brooklyn uh, that were all from, like, the Charlotte to Columbia uh, straight line. Um and that's that's how I met a bunch of people from uh, Myrtle Beach in Charleston, and they invited us to play with them as like a show trade kind of thing, and that's when I got really interested in trying to play out of town. Um, yeah, that show I'm like having war flashbacks now. What a nightmare! <laughs> like, and like there is like a lot of adults asking a lot of questions to like a 17 year old about like was I 17 or 16? I don't know. I was in high school. They're asking me a lot of questions that definitely should have been answered by an adult. And I was just kind of like, I don't know. You know, the yeah. show is happening. So show up. It's 20 bucks and it lasts for 12 hours. So, you know, that's yeah. all that I, I needed to tell anybody. But I also felt like y'all had, because I feel like anytime we played with uh, my brother, my sister, um, it's like they they knew they had the wherewithal to like have a PA and stuff like that. I never had that problem with y'all y'all's group of friends because yeah. I feel like y'all well, knew the basics, were, but you know, Dylan, Dylan and Gwen were like the blueprint. They were the ones that helped me figure it out because like when they invited me into their circle and I saw how they were doing it, I was like, Oh, I've been doing this so wrong. <laughs> um, by the yeah. time you met me, I think I was like 17 or 18 when I met you for the first time. Uh, yeah, and I was at, I was fifty seven at that point. <laughs> yeah, that that was in Augusta, Georgia. Also, uh, okay, the first yeah. time that I met you. Um, yeah, by that point, I had already figured out so much just from watching Dylan and Gwen. I had uh-huh. no idea what I was doing leading up to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's what would be funny is I feel like, uh, like okay, so you play in jail socks now, and you play in clear body. But I think it would be funny to me, like, let's say when uh, Clearbody got the audio tree. If yeah. anyone looked at that and were like, who's this band? Where did they come from? You know, yeah. kind of like, why did they get an audio tree? But then knowing all of these little steps kind of in your development, you know, like it's sort of like it's no funny. one could question. I'm saying this for you, so you don't yeah. have to be like, you know, you're like, I, I built my way up. But I see all these incremental steps that kind of led you to the point that you are and i think it's funny if someone were like yeah <laughs> it's funny that you use that as your example because that literally happens so many I, people I bet. Are like, i fucking bet they're I like this bet. band's never played a show before why are they on audio tree yeah but it's like and we were like and, fuck you we've played a million shows and our yeah, records you, on vinyl so like what do you want from us yeah i mean essentially though you know not to take any credit from it but it was like it was a rebrand at that point. Like if anyone had yeah. looked into it, it's like the band had existed for years, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Doll hands is, I think Eric's been doing that for like closer to 10 years now. Like if we're, if we're thinking of like clear body as like every iteration of doll hands and muffled, this is a forever project, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's even crazier to me. That's kind of how I feel about stress fractures. That was a rebrand of my old band. Um, one for all yeah yeah stress yeah, fractures was just you know pull everything down take a new promo change the name keep all the facebook likes yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it just i i think about that sometimes too and i try and like be conscious of it you know as i've gotten older because i know i've been the person that's been like who the fuck 
you know, because it's, oh, I, it's yeah, even I've funny. I've definitely been in those shoes, too. It's... Yeah, it's even funny to think about, like, I mean, they don't even need us to mention them. But, like, even someone like Casey Musgraves. There was something I saw where, like, Casey Musgraves was, like, I don't know, maybe, like, 15 years old. Like, a little kid in a cowboy hat. And yeah. you can't really find that album anywhere. I mean, you could probably buy it on eBay, but it's not on streaming. Yeah. But there's, like, a kid version of Casey Musgraves that was, like, hustling. Wow. You know? <laughs> And it's like, it sounds funny now, but it's like, even like, if someone's just like, have you heard of Casey Musgraves? But it's like, to be somebody that played, essentially probably played bars in Nashville or whatever, to like nobody, like weird showcases, you know, that are are the equivalent of like, you know, the 15 band bills we all booked back in the day, you know? But it's like, there's a little bit more of a carrot on the end of it where it's like, oh, there's the guy from RCA here. You know, but then there's you fast forward 10 years and it's like she's playing the biggest places and people are like, where'd she come from? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, and I know it's probably like a leap to make that thing, but it's just kind of like sometimes you just don't know people's story. Yeah. I mean, that's it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I could if I could go back and like not be one of 15 on an all day metalcore <laughs> show in Charleston, I would probably still do it like yeah, I'd probably still it. do it. I mean, I did it. I I've done one of those, and maybe it's been in the last five years. I mean, I think the place that we met, one of my bands played, uh, like an all. It was I mean, I think it was an all day festival, and I was probably at an age where I should have stopped doing that mm-hmm. already. Sure. Okay. <laughs> you, know? you know, so it's like, <laughs> but I guess I'm just not gonna stop because I feel like that's. It's like sometimes those can be, that is like the joke people make, but it's like sometimes those are the best shows and the whole experience as a whole is why you got into it in the first place. Yeah, and I mean, for what it's worth, every show that I, I mean, I would, I don't think I could ever go to like an an eight band bill ever again. I think like over five bands is probably outside of my, it's a little my, much, yeah. yeah, that's five bands is really pushing it. I like a three band bill, but like. Those, like, 15-band all-day shows, all the ones that I went to, there was always people there all day. They, like, actually did give a shit about all the bands that were playing, even if it was just, like, you know, every band brought 10 people out. What the fuck ever. They stuck around the whole time. It was a good time. I got to meet a lot of bands I never would have heard before doing that. So. Yeah. But it was always strange having, like, one for all being on these, like, all-day metalcore shows because it was like really badly produced pop punk and that sounded like not worse but just as bad in a different way live you know because it's like i mean i don't i don't know how much you remember about that band but there were a lot of like keyboard drums and like keyboard basses because i didn't own drums or a bass so it's just like i would i would plug my guitar straight into my computer and just like reamp everything and then do all the drums and bass on a yamaha keyboard I feel like, like by the time I remember y'all, I'm pretty sure you had like a full band by that point. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> I don't think I don't know if I remember that era of One for All. I mean, I might. It's like I I remember it being on, you know, flyers and stuff like that. But yeah, I think I think y'all were I think y'all were kind of like morphing into stress fractures at that point. I hope so. Yeah, because I think by the time we played together, we had already put out, like, we'd put out our three-song EP. We may have already put out, like, the four-song demo that came out after that, but, like, I'd reached the point with that where I was like, I can never put out, like, keyboard drums ever again after, like, putting out real drums for the first time. You can't yeah. go back. 
unless you're like unless you're doing something that's like an electronic project and like you need an electronic drum kit for but it's like i would never do that again i definitely learned from that mistake before i do let you go i just want to talk about like what you have coming up or you know what you've recently worked on you know so by the time this is airing uh clear body will be recording uh, if I'm not allowed to say that, don't cut it. Just put a really long beep over it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we'll be we'll be finishing up a record. Uh, yeah, you'll be allowed to say it. I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> Eric said I'm allowed to say it. Leave that in. Leave this whole part in. No, I'll leave the part with Eric. Talking about <laughs> the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll be we'll be in the middle of recording an album uh, with John Markson, uh, the Steel Wolf, uh, as some may know him uh so that'll be really cool and then i come home from that and almost immediately i'll be out for five and a half weeks with jail socks supporting bearings uh on a full u.s and canada tour yeah that's pretty crazy tour that y'all are doing with that and i'm also i mean kind of like back to what i was saying like thinking about um those early days of knowing you and kind of like seeing you play with eric you know in clear body and see where that band has gone and seeing that you're in jail socks it's you know, just like where I would have hoped that you would have been. You know? I uh, I don't really know how I got here, but I won't <laughs> question it. This seems like a very strange transition in the grand scheme of things, especially since we're talking about keyboard drum kits and now we're talking about like full U.S. tour. Yeah, same brand. yeah, and it, but it's also like not the first time you've done those things. You know, like full U.S. tours and things. No, but it's still uh, I've been I've been very fortunate to to see the u.s multiple times yeah uh, with a lot of different bands yeah and assuming that if uh josh ever listens to this do you have anything to say to josh from the chariot thank you uh that's like the easiest way to put it uh you're an inspiration you're a great speaker you're a great lyricist you have a lot of really creative ideas and i think that without the chariot as a band and then specifically without the fiance or long live I don't think I could appreciate or write music in the way that I do. Um, There aren't a lot of bands where I think that that's a thing. The, the three bands that I gave you to choose from uh, for, for the viewers, uh, the other options were death cab for cutie and lemon demon. Uh, If we're like excluding the wonder years and blink One Eighty Two, those are like the three bands that shape me personally as a musician and a songwriter. I think if you listen Listen to Narrow Stairs, listen to Spirit Phone, and listen to The Fiance, and then you got me. I think that's a perfect way to end it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Welcome back. Thanks again to Marty for coming on the pod. And also, like I mentioned at the top, please check out Marty's bands, Stress Fractures, Clear Body, Jail Socks, and Dry Rot. Jail Socks are headed out on tour for five weeks, like I mentioned, with a band called Bearings, Young Culture. And so so please just look that up and check that out. Uh, they could seriously use your support. Great band. And also check out that new Jail Socks record and the new Clear Body. Uh, highly recommend it. Okay, next week on the pod, we're talking with Paul DiCiccio of Tor Johnson Records. Great friend of mine. He's helped my bands out so much. Put out amazing records for coming on 20 years. So he's celebrating his 20th anniversary as a label this year. And we're going to talk about that more on the pod. And we're also talking about Hum's album, You'd Prefer an Astronaut. So please check that out. 
Don't forget to check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps and keeps us going. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.